0: This is Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to our podcast, Eyes on Asia, where we look each week at some of the key stories in the region as covered by RFA and speak to the journalists who cover them. I'm joined by Paul Eckert, who heads up RFA's English language service. How are you, Paul?
1: I'm doing great. It's always good to wrap up a busy week of coverage.
0: So what's been keeping you busy this week? What's caught your eye? Well, the western
1: regions of China, Tibet and Xinjiang, where the Uyghurs live. First in Tibet, Xi Jinping pulled off a surprise visit there to a region that's really under the Chinese thumb. I'm sure that no chances were taken with spontaneous uh, events or protests or anything like that for this quick lightning visit that was reported only after the fact. And then over in Xinjiang to the north of Tibet, uh, ongoing campaigns of repression and a state media effort to whitewash what's going on there with a lot of TV shows about dancing happy Uyghurs, thankful for the Communist Party's rule.
0: Sounds like great viewing. Not. How about in Southeast Asia, Matt? What's going on? Well, this week we had the third anniversary of a dam collapse in southern Laos that led to the deaths of 70 or more people. Um, People are still trying to recover from that and complaining that they can't farm land that they used to farm. And the other thing that was very sad, actually, even sadder than that, was... From Cambodia, where three environmental activists from the group Mother Nature were slapped with new charges that carry up to 10 years in prison. They were brought into court secretly without an attorney and accused of fomenting anti-government conspiracy. They've already been convicted for incitement for nothing more than peaceful advocacy and campaigning. But uh, this is becoming a grimly familiar pattern in Cambodia where people who demonstrate in ways that the government doesn't like end up being persecuted in the legal system. Anyway, let's turn to our podcast. So for this week, I'll be speaking to Cern Nguyen of RFA Vietnamese about public frustration over Vietnamese authorities' extreme measures to contain a spreading wave of coronavirus infections. There's one poor construction worker who was recently detained who are going to buy food and was made to admit to police that bread was not an essential food item. Video of that exchange went viral. So we'll be talking about that.
1: That bread as a non-essential food item, that sounds like the kind of communist absurdity that Orwellian almost that we're seeing in Hong Kong. And we're going to discuss it this week with Carmen Wu, who brings the special passion to the subject. That you would expect from someone who was born and raised there and has watched all this happen dramatically. So we're looking at acts of censorship of children's books. uh, A growing tide of parents emigrating for their children's sake to avoid uh, patriotic education of the style they deliver in China and finally some US sanctions on seven Chinese officials who are deemed responsible for the draconian policies that have been imposed on that city in the last 12 or 13 months. Our guest this week is Carmen Wu, a native of Hong Kong who works for RFA's Cantonese service in Washington. Carmen, so much is happening so fast. I want to thank you for taking time uh, from your busy schedule to talk to us about the developments in Hong Kong.
2: Thank you, Paul. Nice to talk to you again.
1: And as I said, it's, it's, it's hard to keep up with all the changes that have been imposed on Hong Kong mm. in the little over a year since the national security law was imposed from Beijing. What are some of the biggest stories you and your team are working on in terms of the national security law and what's happening in Hong Kong?
2: Mm, one of the most major cases recently happened is the crackdown on a children's picture book and uh, five speech therapists were arrested on Thursday and they are taken to the court on Friday because uh, the police said they published some, some children's picture books that stirred up the hatred against the Hong Kong government. Those books are explaining what's happening in the past few years in Hong Kong, particularly on the anti-extradition law movement. And um, our reporters, our RV reporters in Hong Kong had actually interviewed those therapists before. Back in those times, they insist those books are telling truth. They are doing the right thing. I believe you cannot expect children say nothing when they saw on the TV police firing tear gas and and uh, protesters Protesting very hotly, you cannot expect children think nothing, right? That's the reason why the therapist published those kind of books.
1: They arrested five of these young publishers for this right. uh, these publications, and mm. uh, you know, it's I guess it's 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 an attempt to whitewash the history for future generations. What's the purpose behind that?
2: Yes, I think one of the reasons you're right. Uh, they, the police, the national security officer, they claim that those books stirring up the hatred against Hong Kong government. But the point is what we have to think is who is the ultimate person responsible for stirring up the hatred against the government? Did the government ever investigate how the Hong Kong police brutality is? No, but they tried to like eliminate all these kind of Books. that are telling the bad side, the downside of the government.
1: It's not just books, though. Um, Mm. Also, media. Media in Hong Kong are not allowed to report on those events uh, accurately anymore, it seems. Is that correct?
2: Right. It's harder and harder for reporters, media to report the truth, even if it's kind of truth. But if the truth is kind of not benefit, not not supporting the government. They are very, now the reporters are very careful on their, the, the, the words, the vocabulary they are using, not only for the media, for the filmmakers in June, the government expanded the guidelines for the film censorship ordinance. It was, uh, it is, uh, when if the film was, is found to be kind of, so-called endorsing, supporting, subversion, et cetera. The film is not allowed to be on screen anymore publicly in Hong Kong. I mean, this is also kind of censorship to all the filmmakers. Always political issues. You can see, you can, you can see some of the documents talking about the Hong Kong movement and now being nominated and very well known worldwide. If the if this kind of guidelines is expanded, how can the filmmakers in Hong Kong make films in the future? Like if sure. is it they can only make films to, uh, praising the the Chinese government?
1: Sure, sure, that's that's uh, incredible. It's 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 becoming just like China, where the filmmakers win respect overseas, but their films are not able to be shown. In China or increasingly not even even being able to be made in China or discussed in China Mm. one other media thing I wanted to ask you about was this Taiwan now now the State broadcaster of Hong Kong Has to use mainland style names for the president of Taiwan and all that. It's another one
2: Yes, this one is also a very sad news I would say, uh, Calling Tsai Ing-wen as the president of Taiwan is a very common uh, and uh, it's been used for many years in Hong Kong. It's a very common practice in Hong Kong. But now RTHK, uh, the radio television Hong Kong, which is under mm-hmm. Hong Kong government, is not allowed to use president this, this word anymore. <laughs> so... This is, you, I mean, I mean, this is very sad. For this guideline is sad. That means that, that means that Hong Kong government is now totally equals equals to China government.
1: They're doing a lot of the things that Beijing does. That's for sure. Now, mm. one of the responses we're seeing, we saw it in the beginning last year, but now with some of these deadlines coming up for the British mm. national overseas, it seems like a number of people are trying to leave Hong Kong, or at least trying to get their kids out of Hong Kong and off to schools in the West. What's uh, happening there? Do you have any sense of the numbers? And do you know any people personally who have made this decision to leave Hong Kong forever? Or?
2: Uh, I don't have the exact number, but I know, yes, a lot of people, as we've seen on, on TV, on the pictures, a lot of Hong Kong people, because of the, those problems we discussed before, brainwashing, and more and more people getting arrested, so that's why Hong Kong, a lot of Hong Kong people now think Hong Kong is not a free city anymore. And particularly the parents, they want to bring their children overseas to UK. And why, why the couple of days ago, why a lot of people, they rushed to the airport because of the UK's policy called LOTR for Hong Kong people, just ended a couple of days ago this policy allow Hong Kong people to first move to UK land in UK and then apply for BNO passport, the British national overseas passport and this passport like like for example for me I had one BNO passport before but it expired already. The BNO passport allows Hong Kong people to live, And then after five years, they can apply for citizenship and then permanently live in the United Kingdom. But it takes time to apply for that passport. It takes time. So you can see Hong Kong people cannot wait anymore. They cannot even wait for the application. They just want to move out and then get rid of the Hong Kong government as soon as possible. So that's why before the LOTR uh, policy and this policy allowed them to first land in United Kingdom first. That's why they 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 all they all want to live before this deadline. That's why we see a lot of people moving now. I I expect more and more people may move out for UK or I mean US and maybe Canada. More and more people will get out if Hong Kong's situation's ongoing.
1: Sure. And, and we're talking, is the motivation in a lot of cases education, or is it their own freedom? In other words, if they've done something that maybe the national security law now says is illegal, they're trying to get out, or is it mostly for the kids?
2: Mm. Uh, I think first problem, the major problem, of course, is the current social situation. You cannot see uh, Hong Kong people, they are getting more and more careful on what they said, even on Facebook. So the tension, I mean, in Hong Kong, the whole current atmosphere is very under high tension. And secondly, because of the education, I, be, I, I remember we discussed before, the Education Bureau in Hong Kong, they try to uh, change the history books about modern China history. For example, like the Opium War, they try to say, they try to change all the all the textbooks to say, this is the Opium War is caused by another government, caused by the British government, not the fault of the Chinese government. But is, this, is it really the truth? Is it really the history or just then by Chinese government? So, so the parents are worrying about uh, the education is now changing to all pro-China, kind of pro-China education.
1: Sure, they call it patriotic education.
2: Yeah, right.
1: Up in the right. North. Right. ai Jiao Yu. Now, from the United States, there has been criticism in the past, but they've recently moved in Washington to put sanctions on some of these Chinese, not Hong Kong, but Chinese officials responsible for mm-hmm. this repression. What happened there and what was the response in Hong Kong and in Beijing?
2: Uh, yes. The United States government just imposed sanction on seven Chinese go- officials. They work for the Hong Kong Hong Kong office, and um, seems like the Chinese government already get used to the sanction posed by the United States, and they still, even though uh, the United States imposed more and more sanction on more and more officials, they still keep a very tight grip on China uh, on on Hong Kong. So, I mean, it's, it's um, very yes sad news that China seems like they don't want to, they insist their authoritarianism.
1: Well, indeed, they are not bending uh, to international criticism, whether it be in Hong Kong, whether it be in the Uyghur region of the Northwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, they're running a hard, real hardline campaign across mm-hmm. the board. So we'll have mm-hmm. to see. But Carmen, I'm sad because this is your hometown, and it's getting increasingly like you probably won't be able to go home there, uh, go home anytime soon. And uh, I want to thank you for making time on this Friday.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Paul.
0: Like much of Southeast Asia, Vietnam is facing its most serious COVID-19 outbreak so far. In 2020, the Communist government won praise for its success in containing the first wave of the virus, but is now grappling with thousands of new infections each day and is facing growing criticism about some of the heavy-handed measures it is taking to enforce the lockdown. I'm joined by RFA Vietnamese journalist, Sun Nguyen, who has been reporting on these measures and some of the negative attention that they have drawn. Welcome to you, Sam.
3: Thanks, Q. Matt, and hi, everyone. Um, As some of you may know, that Vietnam is now going through a very serious uh, time where thousands of people got contracted with the coronavirus each day, mostly in the southern city of Ho Chi Minh City. Um, The regime in Vietnam, as many people know, uh, that is led by the Communist Party have imposed many restrictions uh, locally on the city approaching Ming City and also on the nationwide scale. However, these restrictions uh, have barely helped contain the virus at all. Uh, if it if it does anything, if only make people more frustrated. And make people's life more miserable.
0: What sort of measures are we talking about here that the Vietnamese government has imposed that are, are becoming unpopular?
3: Sure, yes. The government applies very extreme measures, including, um, you know, a total ban of people leaving their home for whatever reasons. Um, only those who uh, can prove that uh, they. Uh, it is it necessary for them to go out uh, then can leave their home however in order to leave their home they need to obtain a special permit from local authority and it is very arbitrary for local authority to define uh, what is essential uh, uh, a reason for people to go out so this leads to you know widespread resentment towards the government also the government in Vietnam has um, uh, punished thousands of people and collect billions uh, and collect billions of of, of Vietnam dons from from this financial fight, uh, and and you know amid this this very difficult uh, time where everyone is is affected economically. However, the government still uh, punish people financially only for. Try to go out to find food, or try to to visit their loved ones who who, who are now sick, or, or try to find work. So so overall, it's make everyone very frustrated and angry.
0: Yeah. I see. So if I want to, if I'm in Vietnam, and I'm in Ho Chi Minh City, and I want to um, go out to buy food, do I have to have a permit to do that?
3: Absolutely. Now the government even. Forbid restaurant to open and sell food, to, te- to self-take away food, that means even if you wanted to buy food, there is no restaurant for you to buy food. So the only option you have is to buy uh, ingredients from supermarket and then cook it at home. However, in order to do that, you have to uh, uh, request you know travel permit from local authority and then they only allow you to go out like twice a week. Um, and the thing is, you know, the number of supermarkets are limited. So this leads to, you know, uh, and, and also because of all these restrictions. So people start getting panic. So that which led to panic shopping. So we have food shortage all over the city, partly because of panic shopping. But the main reason is because of the blockage therefore you know the supply chain has been disrupted therefore people from the outside cannot send food and supply to the inside of the city which lead to the shortage of food so even if you get the permit to go out but there is no guarantee that you can get food yeah
0: huh i see so how do you get a permit is that difficult
3: well you can uh, you know you know in communist system they have government officers uh, to the very very small administrative unit to the neighboring unit so you can ask you know let's say the head of the of the neighboring uh, administration and then they will uh, work with the local community to authorize a travel permit for you uh, however you know uh, recently there has been a lot of cases where uh, the government made it very clear that you can only go out for essential, uh, 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 for very special reason, but then because of the, uh, you know, no one, no one explained to people what, what is a essential reason here. So it leads to local authority uh, being very arbitrary in terms of, you know, uh, which activity you're allowed to go out. So some, some place, uh, you can go out to buy food, but other place, the authority there, think that, well, buying food is not essential, so you're basically just not allowed to go out. So it really depends on whether the authority in your neighborhood uh, is friendly or not, or depends on how they interpret
0: the directions from
3: central government.
0: It does sound like a bit of a a lottery, and I know that um, some of these uh, situations have drawn attention on social media, where people who've been detained or had problems with authorities have posted videos. Can you tell me a little bit about some of those, those cases? Because I know that we've been posting on the RFA Vietnamese Facebook page.
3: Sure. Yeah, the latest incident took place, you know, just a few days ago, uh, in a city in central Vietnam, uh, where uh, this construction worker he went out to buy bread. You know, Vietnam is very famous for bread, which we call bánh mì in the country. So he went out trying to buy food, apparently, um, and he got stopped by a checkpoint. And the, um, the authority excused him of, uh, uh, going out without a reasonable excuse. And then he argued with the authority that, but I went out to buy food. And then the, uh, you know, the, apparently the, um, the deputy director of the local administration told him that bread is not food. Therefore, uh, you had violated the rule. So... We will detain you. Then um, a few, uh, then, you know, in the video, we saw that a few police officers detained the poor man and brought him and his vehicle back to the p- police station where he meant to confess that. He, he was forced to confess that. He he, he he had violated the rule, and he and he was made to agree that bread is not food, which, you know, when... Uh, Right after the video was circulated circulated on social media, it was then shared by, I would say, hundreds of thousands of people and eventually became a national uh, debate. Mostly people criticized the local authority for being uh, unreasonable and for uh, abusing their power. But this is only one example. You know, Vietnam is a big country where there are almost 100 million people live in. And I believe that across the country, there are hundreds and hundreds of cases like this.
0: I'm I'm sure you're right. And it does sound an absolutely ludicrous situation where someone has to admit that bread is not a food and an essential item. But there was a postscript to this, wasn't there? That after this big furore was raised over this poor man's situation wasn't some uh, wasn't local official punished
3: only after the incident attracted nationwide attention then the local authorities stepped in and they issued uh, an apology statement to uh, the construction worker and also promised to punish the uh, the officer however Just yesterday, we saw the news that the local authority is now looking for uh, the person who posts this video online. So they are trying to go after the person who posts this video online. So I wanted everyone to understand that in Vietnam, just because the authorities say sorry to you, it doesn't mean they truly feel sorry. They say sorry because they don't want to get more criticism from the public but behind the scene they will go after whoever that published this information and now they are doing exactly that
0: it sounds like they really do want to shoot the messenger now tell me about the vaccine rollout because i know that vietnam you know in 2020 they did quite well in containing the virus things aren't doing so well now But one thing where they have fallen short is on rolling out a vaccine. And it seems like only a very small fraction of the population has been vaccinated so far. And I think that's attracted some some recent attention as well. Can you tell me about that? You you
3: are absolutely right, Matt. The vaccine rollout has been an absolute mess in Vietnam. Yes, because 2020 was such a successful year for the Vietnamese government in containing the virus that they has grown arrogant. They basically, you know it, in recent months, the people found out that when the government uh, forecast the, uh, you know they was building the they were trying to put together a budget forecast for 2021. And you know what? there is no. Money for buying vaccine at all. That's why when the recent wave of COVID-19 hit the country, and when the government realized that only vaccine can save people and only vaccine can stop the spread of the virus, but then they realized that there is no money to buy vaccine. So Vietnam, the So Vietnamese government has launched a ridiculous campaign which they asked the entire population to donate money so that the government can buy vaccine. However, you know, it's too late. The virus now is spreading like wildfire. And today, only 0.3% of Vietnamese population has been fully vaccinated. 0.3%. That' means around three hundred thousand people in the country of 100 million people has been fully vaccinated, and I just saw a calculation somewhere saying that with this vaccination rollout uh, speed, it would take ten years for the country to uh, to achieve the the, the, the the you know herb immunation
0: well uh, let's hope they can pick up speed because ten years would be kind of um, kind of useless now the there was some attention on in the social media in Vietnam this week about one young lady who i understand was the the daughter of a lecturer at a military academy who managed to get a a vaccine was it a Pfizer vaccine
3: it was a Pfizer vaccine and this incident also attracted a nationwide uh, backfire, backfired so what happened was that you know as i said the vaccination rate in Vietnam is very low. Everyone, especially people in Ho Chi Minh City now, is desperate to get vaccination. However, when uh, the government received Pfizer vaccine, uh, they initially promised to send um, a a large chunk of of this vaccine to Ho Chi Minh City, but at the end they only sent, they sent a smaller amount of of vaccine doses. And um, In Vietnam now, you you have to wait until your turn because uh, apparently there there isn't enough vaccine for people to use. So people have to register, then you have to wait for your turn. And the government prioritized uh, uh, frontline workers and police and military personnel to get vaccinated first. However, this uh, woman, very young lady, who is not part of any prioritized group Suddenly, post on her Facebook account saying that you know what, AstraZeneca is good, but I don't want it. I made sure that uh, my family got Pfizer, and luckily, yesterday, uh, uh, you know, I got a phone call uh, from apparently her father saying that oh, there is Pfizer vaccine available, and then I got the shot, and she and she. Post the picture of her getting vaccinated and post the picture of her vaccination, vaccine certificate on Facebook, and her post went viral. And uh, of course, everyone in the country went crazy because she not only not in the prioritized group, however, she did not register at all and she did not wait a single day. Just like that, she got vaccinated. While millions of people are crying for vaccine, and you know in 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 country like Vietnam, people is familiar with this kind of uh power and influence and relationship uh that you know these people have in uh, and uh, uh, eventually lead to them accessing to 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 privilege however in 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 this dire circumstance it still anger the public yeah
0: it does sound like a a case of nepotism. And I guess it just underscores people's frustration over the government's response to the COVID pandemic as it spreads through Vietnam, as it is in other countries in Southeast Asia. So, thank you very much for sharing us your insights about the situation in Vietnam and COVID.
3: Thank you for having me, Matt.
1: Thanks to CERN and Matt for that insight into why many Vietnamese people are becoming frustrated with the government's response to COVID. Some of the authorities' actions to contain travel outside the home border on the
0: ridiculous. Indeed they do. And it was good that CERN was able to kind of explain to us how and why people are starting to show their frustration. And it's kind of interesting in a communist state like Vietnam that people can sort of speak out to a degree on social media, but it's obviously not without risk. Please join us again next week for another sampling of RFA's coverage. Until then, you can visit our website, rfa.org. Our past podcasts are available on platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Just search for Eyes on Asia. If you have any feedback or suggestions, please drop us a line or attach an audio message. Our email is eoa at rfa.org. It stands for Eyes on Asia. I'm Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia with Paul Eckert. This podcast is edited by Eugene Huang. The series is created by Leo Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you for listening, and please join us again.